Hey everybody, here's my chat from this weekend with uh, Josh Horowitz, who I'm sure you know. Uh, he covers all things movies for MTV News, Comedy Central, and the Paramount Network, and of course does the very popular Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. So let's just get to it. Uh, I've known Josh for a long time. We met in my former life when I handled interview-based movie content at HBO and Cinemax, so we definitely go back a bit. And Josh has had a pretty busy December, talking to a lot of both creative and executive folks at the heart of the movie biz. So he had a ton of insight to share about all the big movie biz news this month as well as what the Oscars are looking like this year. So here's Josh Harwitz. All right, Josh, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, a pleasure to be on the other side of the mic for once. You feel okay? No, honestly, I don't. <laughs> I was telling you before, I'm, I, I, I pride myself on being decent at your job, but not so much at this job. So uh, good luck to you, sir. Yeah. I was like, Josh doesn't do a lot of interviews, and I don't know if that's why he does. Maybe he doesn't like to do interviews, or maybe he doesn't get asked to do interviews. And I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> Surely if I, not you know, the latter. Uh, so, you know, you've been MTV movie guru, uh, kingpin for years, I guess, movie news. That's, that's kind of on the been, business card. That's on the business yeah. card, but you kind of know that you're the Viacom uh, movie person you've done. And the Before Times for Paramount, the uh, On Location series where you went to iconic locations from films with the filmmakers. Yep. We did Quirks. We did M. Night Shyamalan in Philly for Six Sense. Uh, we went with Zoe Deschanel to 500 Days of Summer. We did Michael Mann, my personal favorite for Heat. Right. Um, Lance Reddick here in New York for the John Wick films. Yeah, that was our, uh, sadly, that obviously was a casualty, not only of the Paramount Network's transition, but also uh, clearly there are a few, few shows that are more ill-suited to these times than going on location in various locales around the world. So uh, maybe it'll come back one day in a different form because I did love doing it. Currently doing a Comedy Central web series called Stir Crazy, which I guess kind of uh, explains itself a little bit, but you're doing chats there from your apartment. Yeah, yeah, that one evolved in kind of, uh, I guess, the best possible way out of, um, you know, obviously I've been doing sometimes silly, sometimes serious interviews for MTV uh, over the years, and I've been working increasingly with Comedy Central in recent years. And uh, when this insanity began, they came to me and said, uh, how do we, can we do some kind of, you know, remote Josh Horowitz interview show? And you know, all credit to them, they, they worked with me really quickly and we kind of cobbled it together and have kind of learned on the fly. And here we are like 35 or 40 episodes in and it's actually been a, a really nice kind of escape for me and we've been lucky enough to get some pretty great talent um, riffing with me and doing my, my silly shenanigans. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun fun escape. Yeah, it's kind of, you can't do, you, the famous after hour sketch for MTV, of course, uh, you know, you can't do all of those shenanigans, but this mixes in some of that, that spirit, I think, uh, infuses this a little bit. Yeah, I used to do this kind of scripted sketches for Comedy Central for after hours, and this is unscripted, of course, but, um, you know, leaning into kind of the, the silly talk show games that I used to do way back when in my, oh, I sound so old, in the early junk days, <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I met you, Sean, uh, yeah. I would do these kind of silly games on the fly, and now I've I've refined my silliness into a tight eight to ten minute uh, interview program for Comedy Central, and uh, and thankfully, having done it as long as I've done it, um, these these silly silly movie stars tend to trust me to uh, go to places that hopefully they don't go with with many people. So it, it, it's pretty cool. You have history, so yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mostly good. Mostly good. <laughs> the ones that return. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then you're still doing MTV News uh, stuff occasionally uh, for, the, yeah. for their uh, YouTube pages and all the, the digital platforms of MTV. Yep. When called upon, I am, I am there for them. So, yes, uh, doing kind of like their, their quote-unquote high-profile uh, conversations, whether it's um, – I did Gal Gadot the other day and Tessa Thompson. So, yeah, they kind of call me in every uh, couple times a month to uh, do those kind of high-profile movies. And that's – it's again, I, I have the luxury between that, my podcast, Happy, Set, Confused – 
where I kind of get to be, the, you know, indulge in my semi-serious side. And yes, I, I do have that side where I can have a uh, actual articulate conversation, hopefully with a filmmaker or actor, and then I can indulge the the silly stuff with Comedy Central. So. Um, I contain multitudes, Sean. You know you this. Do. <laughs> All under the Viacom. Where's your Viacom tattoo? You have that somewhere? I yet? can't show that to no, you right now. That it's it? not okay. a place where it's appropriate to show. <laughs> it's like Nexium. They brand you. <laughs> oh, wow. I know you yeah. love the vow. So, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure. Ask how many times you've watched it by now. But, uh, yeah. Only once. Then I watched it. Well, I can't even, what was the other one called? I was an early adopter. Yeah. To the, to the doc series, not to the cult. To be clear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah thank you, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in an alternative universe somewhere, we'd be talking about uh, how great it is to have Eddie Murphy back on the big screen for Coming to America 2 uh, this weekend. But, you know, this universe, uh, not so much. Um, you know, we do have two big movies, uh, Wonder Woman and News of the World. So, you know, where's your head at uh, here as we finish out 2020 with the movie business, Josh? It, it is crazy. I mean, yes, the, the, that is the, the term, the alternate universe uh, thing definitely always occurs to me. I mean, I, I live relatively close to Times Square and I sometimes venture over there um, just to get, get my walking in, et cetera. And like, uh, I don't know if they still have it up. They still have the, the uh, I think they still have the Quiet Place Part 2 billboards yeah. up in Times I have Square. one in my neighborhood too, yeah. It's just like you're in, you're living in I Am Legend where like the, the artifacts <laughs> exactly. of, a, of a different time exist. So I had it, the same thought. It, it is odd. But yes, to your question about kind of like the, the modified Christmas season, um, I mean, in some ways, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the HBO Max of it all, like the, the fact that Wonder Woman 1984 is being released uh, in some way and is going to be available to everyone makes it feel a little bit more cozy and comfortable because at least we do have at least one ginormous silly Hollywood blockbuster to all kind of talk about, even if it happens to be something we're talking about from our living rooms as opposed to gathering in, in theaters. News of the World is, is I'm endlessly curious how, how that one plays out. I mean, I've seen that one and it, and it plays well. Uh, it's Paul Greengrass, Tom Hanks, and, and, and maybe, yes, in normal times would have actually been a decent-sized hit for them. I could see that delivering. Um, obviously, it's it's not going to pull in much of any money at the box office, nor really should it. But um, we're seeing the, the vestiges, like the, the, the whispers of what this Christmas season would have been. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways, it's, it's reassuring and nice. In other ways, it's reminding us of, like, what might have been, like, had... Uh, had we had a normal year, a quote unquote normal year. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the, the Warner Brothers is certainly dominating uh, at least all the industry talk, I guess, the past two weeks. Uh, so they're putting, for those who don't know, uh, they're putting all of their 2021 releases uh, day and date, as they call it in the business, uh, streaming on HBO Max for 30 days and in movie theaters uh, as well at the same time. And then after 30 days, uh, it'll be movie theaters only. Um, they're not the first person, the first studio to put them, your th you know, movies I've, I've premiered on Premium video on demand. You can rent for twenty bucks in, in your house. Uh, Universal has a seventeen-day window where movies will be in theaters for two weeks, essentially your three weekends, uh, and then go, you know, essentially into your home. Disney's Soul is on is uh, on Christmas Day, you know, on Disney Plus. That's not even in theaters. They pulled that, you know. People have moved theater movies out of the theatrical window onto the on demand or home or streaming window, and you know, people understand. But this is really pissed a lot of people off it doesn't seem like they told anybody where in these previous occasions it was a conversation it was a even the wonder woman thing they brought there's a story this week in the hollywood reporter they brought gal gadot and patty jenkins in they had a you know a lunch with ann sarnoff they had the studio jason and you know and talked it out and made a decision and then this was just like wtf on, on this so you know what is your take on a the policy and then the kind of uproar that's been going on. Well, I, I, how about I, I'll take the uproar first, just because that's been top of mind, uh, uh, because 
in my conversations, frankly, with filmmakers the last few weeks, like it's 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 just the elephant in the room. And and, and frankly, sometimes you know, in in conversations with filmmakers, you learn to kind of like dance around these kind of touchy subjects. But I found that filmmakers they have something to say. I mean, I you know I interviewed in, in quick succession the last few weeks Christopher Nolan, Patty Jenkins, and Steven Soderbergh. All of them. Like when I opened the can of worms of what's what HBO Max decided to do, they had a lot to say and a lot that was critical of the companies that have made them a lot of money over the years. You know, it's such a huge um, line in the sand that they, they, they've crossed. Yeah, the long-term repercussions are, are, are confusing to me. I don't know. I, you know, the, the, I think the question everybody keeps asking is, can the genie be put back in the bottle? Can audiences relearn old habits after they've gotten things like Dune and Matrix in the comfort of their own home. I, you know, I, I tend on the side of a little pessimism. Maybe that's just my general personality. And I, and I do worry that I think we're going to see a diminished, um, you know, exhibition after all of this. I don't think it's going away. I don't think theaters are dead. I don't think we should go that extreme. But I've been saying, and even prior to this HBO Max announcement that I, you know, my sense, like, and others have said this, is I think movie theaters are headed towards looking like Broadway theater does here in New York, that where it's it's more the realm of a special occasion, high-end experience. And I don't, I, I think it will be the realm of the Disney blockbusters and and the Warner Brothers blockbusters. I don't know if Warner Brothers is going to stick to this mandate past 2021. I don't even know if it's going to last into 2021. Look, there's no contract signed here. And everyone's like, oh my God. It's like, who hasn't reversed a policy in Hollywood at some point? Of you know, uh, so, and Dune isn't even their movie. You know, the whole legendary, they don't own all the, you know, so that may legally go away. Matrix is the kind of an outlier that I don't know will, will last, but they got to pay Keanu a lot of money to buy out his, his side of that contract for, you know, for how many uh, percentage yeah. points he has in the oh, gross of yeah, the Matrix yeah. they, series. They, so They just don't have, and they're not Netflix. They don't have the money to pay out these people uh, on that level. Um, that, I mean, that's something that Patty Jenkins mentioned. She literally said, why would I work for any studio like this? Go to Netflix. They, they will pay me what I can make. Yeah, they've said they're they're making generous payouts, but the, the earliest incarnations from the agents and business affairs is like if you're thinking you think that's generous, you have a lot to learn about <laughs> about what everybody else is paying. I think, but yeah, and, and you look and you and you're you're angering. The artists that, I mean, Warner Brothers especially, Warner Brothers, which has this legacy of being a filmmaker-friendly studio, the home of Clint Eastwood and, and in recent years, Denis Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan, this is their bread and butter. I mean, yes, the franchise stuff and the DC stuff and the Harry Potter stuff, but like their ethos, I mean, more than Disney, Disney's about IP more than Warner Brothers, arguably. I think they're going to have to retract and, and make good or else they're going to lose all of these prominent filmmakers. And, and to Patty Jenkins' point, I don't see the next wave of prominent filmmakers going to Warner Brothers when, when they're probably even less uh, wedded to the theatrical model. They, they, they have no qualms about going directly to Netflix because they're, they didn't grow up uh, with the allegiance maybe that you and I had to movie theaters. So uh, the William Goldman uh, adage is true. Nobody knows anything right now. It's, it's moving so fluidly, so quickly. Um, but... I think um, Warner Brothers like maybe overplayed their hand, um, and I, I have a feeling that we're going to see them backtrack a bit in order to save some face. I, and I don't even a few people have come forward because one of the first movies is a big Denzel movie, I, The Little Things. Little Things, yeah, which yeah. is in uh, end of for in, in January is the for, kind of the, one of the first movies that's going to fall under this after after Wonder Woman. And there's a few things out of the stories that have coming out are just like. Hey, I don't mind this policy, but the way you went about this just was, you know, like you have zero 
uh, you know, sense of how this town works. And it's like Universal has made it, quite frankly, a very similar policy. And that that deal for that 17 day window between we can put movies on, you know, premium video on demand for 17 days later. That's a permanent policy with AMC theaters and with Cinemark. That, That wasn't a pandemic policy. That was here on out. Here is our deal. The major difference to me seemingly is that you know universal doesn't have a streaming service to buoy peacock and is not going to be worthy of that yeah no not yet at least and and they they weren't at least in a position or ready to double down at where hbo max they saw that they needed to just inject lightning fuel like just they need something crack yeah. cocaine into this thing just to make it fly yeah. and say what you will it, it, it that, that that's going to get subscribers to, to watch wonder woman to watch dune to watch matrix that's going to that's going to get it into the the Disney Netflix realm, or at least a you know a fighting shot at, at, in that uh, yeah. that pantheon. It's really just that collateral damage question of like, did yes. you inflict a mortal wound here, or is this just a flurry of by February we'll, we'll all have moved on, and you know we'll, we'll, they may have written some bigger checks than they thought they may, may have had to write. Right. Money also solves a lot of problems in Hollywood, where you know okay, you know, feelings can be hurt and move on, but sometimes it's like, well, okay. Yeah, I think I think best case scenario is, look, the, the, the reality of the situation, the, the real world stuff improves, as we all hope it will, and that, yes, after the first quarter and they've kind of drawn in a ton of uh, customers in with Wonder Woman 1984 and, and the little things and a couple other projects, then they can um, responsibly direct people to go back to theaters and, and back off this um, the simultaneous day and date and give it more of a window kind of thing like the universal model, which seems more of like operating in the real world because like no one's going to, and we, we've all seen the writing on the wall the last like five years that this windowing has to change and that, that um, streaming services were rising. It, it, it's just, they took five steps where everybody else was taking one or two. Right. And went about it and probably not the best way that they could have, you know, I mean, in their mind, they're like, well, how am I going to tell 17 filmmakers at the same time and not have this news get out? I get like that part. And we want to make a big splash. Like, look, the news was everywhere and it was on places where sure. nobody ever talked about HBO Max. So like it achieved a lot of goals about what he wants to do. Right. And it was a very internet way of going about it, break things and we'll figure it out later kind of way. Yes. It's a very tech mantra. Yeah, it's a look. I mean, as much as it's dollars and cents industry, it's, it's also a relationship uh, a business. And as I said, Warner Brothers has, has just really relied on these key relationships. And maybe um, maybe they think they're bigger and, and don't need to rely on on the, the you know, the dozen A-list filmmakers they've relied on and they can rely on their IP and, and, re, and replenish the tanks of, of talent. But... Um, there's, they're going to lose a few people in the process. Yeah, definitely. But I, w- I will say devil's advocate on this is that they're putting movies in theaters. We're, the only other th- studio right now is Universal, and that's it. And quite frankly, and I'd be curious what, you th- what your thinking is on this, but you know, until May, there's nothing. Like, I mean, there's, you know, Disney has the Raya movie, which is also going on premium video on demand on Disney. So that's still home. And that's in in March. Uh, You know, until Black Widow, until Fast 9 and until Godzilla versus Kong, you know, uh, another Warner Brothers film. Those are the three big May titles. Those movies have to open to 60, 70 million dollars. They can't open to 20. You know, it has to be a enough of a population gain for them to say, all right, we Black Widow can't open to under 50 million bucks. Yeah, Disney seems to be of the mind, and I get it. They're kind of like, look, if we're if if the conditions don't allow us to make the money that we need at the box office, we're going to shift to 
to the uh, the streaming. And they can they can still shift Black Widow. I mean, it's again, nothing's in stone. And I think they will. I don't think they, if they haven't bit the bullet by now, they're not going to bite it in, in May. They would rather wait, push it down the field yet again, six more months. I think they will. Exactly. So then you're talking no movies and big movies in theaters till June, and it's like, and no one's going to be, and Sony's not putting movies in theaters. Paramount's not putting any. You know, nobody else is going to step in here. Universal can only have so many films. So yes. how do these theaters survive for six months on you know Liam Neeson action movies? Is you know. <laughs> You tell me, you know, they so don't. like at least Warner Brothers is supporting the theaters. Yes. It's like we're giving you products. We're allowing you to show movies again. No, that's a good that's a that's, that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't thought of. You're right. They're at least delivering product, even not in the ideal way, but like right. it's there for them. And I, I, there is no alternative for the theaters right now. They need a bailout from the government. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> right. Which, you and know. They, or many, many theaters, more theaters will will fold and, and change their business model. Um, lower their ticket prices, as I've heard, uh, to draw people in. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I don't, you know. That's the only, like, uh, not the only, but the devil's advocate side where I'm like, all right, at least they can go to talent and say, you know what? We're the only studio outside of Universal supporting the actual ecosystem you guys all are giving the lip service to that this has to maintain. This is a six-month dry period for them with every studio except for one. And even, I don't even know what the Universal first half of the year, yep. you know, is, quite frankly. But, I don't, you know, outside of Fast, Fast Nine's the big, you know, is the their next big, big, you know, movie. Uh, so, you know, that's something where you can go to a filmmaker and say, by the way, we were the only one putting these things in theaters. And they were the only one to take a shot with something like Tenet. Right. And to roll the dice and, and make the push. And, and, and they bit the bullet. Like, they ate a lot of money on that, you know. They sure did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, you probably... Uh, no one's talking about that. <laughs> you, 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 but No. But you do have the argument down for what I'm sure they will go to filmmakers with. But... You know, from a filmmaker's perspective, I think they, they'd rather just like, I'll, I'll wait. I, I don't want I, I don't want my film compromised. I made right. Dune to be on 6,000 screens, not uh, 500 screens that are going to make $7 million opening weekend. Yeah. Never a dull moment in the business. Uh, but the other side, which we haven't talked about in December, is always it's Oscar season. So, you know, so Pete, I want you, I want you to <laughs> give us a slice of life into uh, Josh's December usually. What is your what is your December 1st to, say, December 18th usually like uh, this time of year? Right. Well, so A, on just like the kind of like work side, like the interview side, this is the most hectic uh, window usually because it's the combination of all of the kind of highfalutin, you know, awards uh, contenders um, put their talent out there. Um, combined with all of the Christmas movies. So, like, this is, like, there's, like, two weeks generally where, like, it's back-to-back junkets, and it's the biggest, like, movies of the year. Um, Not so much this year, though it has been actually relatively busy the last week or two. Um, But award season, again, like, everything else has been turned on its head. Obviously, the the schedule is all off. The eligibility moves into uh, February, which is just uh, totally changes the the dynamics. So you have films like... You know, One uh, Night in Miami and, and Nomadland that virtually nobody outside of like the festival circuit um, knows about. Like John Q. Public has never heard of Nomadland, has never heard of One Night in Miami. Um, and they're going to hear about it much later in the game. Um, my, my general sense of like Oscar season is is it hasn't permeated the public consciousness because like what are the Oscar contenders right now? There's, not, there's no Oscar movie that like the general public 
knows about, really. Yeah. Um, you know, even outside of just December, you know, onslaught that we always usually get, you know, there's always a few in October or November, or even September. There were no films, you know, released at all. No, and it didn't have the, the gasoline that usually comes out of, like, these worldwide events, these press events like Cannes and Toronto. While Toronto still tried to soldier on, it did it in its own way. It can't compete with, like, 10 glitzy A-list premieres with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie every night getting all the coverage. And it, it's less of the of the bigger films that would normally uh, be out there, I think, getting kind of the, the, the more traditional um, um, Hollywood uh, uh, awards entries. So I think the awards season, like, if you look at like the top contenders, it's, it's more art house friendly crop of movies dominate the Oscars, which is fine. I love that stuff. It's not going to necessarily be good for the Oscars, which has already been struggling in the last five, ten years. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hardened, I will say, by Steven Soderbergh being uh, one of the producers of the Oscar telecast. He's he's a brilliant guy that kind of, like, kind of appreciates high and low end art. And so I think, <laughs> really does, so yeah. I think he'll he'll bring something interesting to it. But um, you can't bet on the, on the Oscars being the influencer that it usually is in pop culture this year for all the reasons we discussed. And and not to mention also like all the FaceTime, uh, you know, award season is built on FaceTime and parties and... and well, that's why I mean, your schedule usually would be, all right, how many how many movies would you see in December, like in a given year? It's like, I don't know, 10 or 12, maybe, I, you know, I mean... Yeah, and, and then like this is, I mean, I live in New York, so it's even more so in LA, but like seemingly every night there's like a different studio or film doing a Q&A, a... a a meet and greet, something. Cocktail party, yeah. whatever, yeah. And, I, yeah. and I still get these weird invites to like, you know, like like, the, like these premieres with like an exclusive Q&A afterwards. And it's like, I've gone to virtually, I think I went to, what did I, I watched one just because I wanted to see the movie early. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember what it was. But like, what, they try to make these things special and make you feel kind of like you're part of some exclusive club that you can't magically make somebody feel um, what it feels like to be in the room with, you know, Ryan Gosling. Like that's you can't, you can't <laughs> bottle that up and put that in a Zoom chat. Sorry, those guys. eyes aren't Zoom friendly, man. You got to experience those IRL, man. Come on, how do you no, get mesmerized truly. by the Gosling eyes? Otherwise, truly. So you know, every like like everything else, the fun has been taken out of everything this year. Um, and yeah, that was a fun perk of the job and a fun part for you know every every journalist exec publicist, everything, um, as much as we kind of bitch and moan about like uh, all that stuff and the whining and right. the dining, we, we also live for it. That's what we love about the business too. And that's just been sorely lacking um, this year and will be obviously lacking in the first quarter of next year as we decide the the final Oscar winners. Yeah. So this year, it's uh, the deadline, I think it's end of February, has to be released, well, in streaming or theaters uh, this year, and then the ceremony is the end of April this year as well. So Right. So everything obviously significantly pushed back. Um, but at the end of the day, this whole year and a half, this this uh, this 2021 Oscar and Golden Globe and all of it is going to be tainted. It's just not going to, it's not going to have the same feel. It's not, it's always going to be looked at as a, a strange outlier. Yeah. And then also, you no know, Sundance this year. I mean, I know you're an avid skier, Josh. Are you, uh, are you upset about the, uh... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's a dig against my lack of ability in any physical fashion. Um, I have skied. I put on my boots today to go out in the snow to to visit nature. Okay. Um, yes, uh, Sundance. I like. I haven't attended actually one, one of these quote unquote virtual film festivals yet. Um, I'm planning to for Sundance, and um, I mean the slate is is lessened just in terms of sheer numbers, less, frankly, high-profile actors than I'm used to seeing in the list of Sundance films. I, I haven't really, like, closely looked at the, their plan. I, from what I gather, I, just in, in reading some short things, um, they're going to be doing some 
in-person events at various cities, right, around the country? Your state may vary, you know, uh, in terms of what, the, what when, that when, is, when, but it's also just five days. It's only a five-day, usually it's a two-week period, and this is only five days this year, so. Right. Uh, yeah, I've been going to Sundance for, I think, 14 years. This will obviously be the first one. I haven't been in attendance per, uh, physically uh, uh, since then, and... Um, yeah, that, that saddens me. I mean, there's the, the symmetry in, in a way. Like the first thing that I canceled on um, in this year was South by Southwest. I was going to say, and then there's South by in March, which is, is not happening this year either. Or maybe not, does that even exist going forward is another question, I guess, really. Two years in a row and not happening, you know, financially, I don't know. but uh, That's going to, uh, yeah, gut them. I mean, it's um, it's just funny to look back. Like, and my plans to go to South by and CinemaCon. Okay, what is CinemaCon? My God, going to look like going forward. People don't know that's industry. Uh, so it's essentially the movie theater owners <laughs> of the country uh, come to, the, to Vegas for a couple of days every year. Year and all the studios tried out their stars, and it usually happens in April. Um, yep. Big industry confab, uh, and then some select journalists come along and do interviews to kind of preview summer movie season and so forth. So, but that's that even like I mean, again, in recent years, it felt like it, maybe this is a little excessive of an analogy, but it did feel like you were a little bit like on on the Titanic, where like they uh, there was like certain <laughs> a certain. Um, kind of person there that just like was willfully ignorant about like where this industry was headed and like everything's fine no it's, it's fine we're doing great we're doing great like yeah these numbers aren't so great but we'll, we'll be fine we'll be fine and then you know the ship cracked in half this year and I don't know what CinemaCon looks like the next time we all gather but right. um, that is a, a group that is decimated um, as discussed earlier yeah I mean even Khan is you know a question mark that's May I mean you know uh, that uh, they held on last summer to you know till <laughs> they're gripping the, the the edges there like they are like we're doing it we're doing it you know and then they just like no we're not well yeah it's it's look it's we've all had a, a, a huge learning curve this year and all and we were all willfully I think ignorant to different degrees especially in the beginning sure um some of us kind of like adapted and realized how, how monumental this would be earlier than others. But um, it has been fascinating this year to see like how the publicity game has changed and hasn't changed in some ways. You know, how, how difficult it is to book people now versus before. And people have, have asked me about that. Like, is it easier now? Because everybody's just sort of sitting at home. And in some ways, yeah, like I, I've definitely had like greater access to people than ever. Um, but it has been also interesting to see um, the quote unquote movie junket come back and actually come back in a very similar way. It's still kind of like soul crushing to like wait in like a virtual waiting room <laughs> for like eight minutes with somebody. Yeah, but there, but there's no free food sitting there exactly. from the hotel and there's no more like nice, you know. I desperately miss the Four Seasons chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, I, <laughs> horrible problems to talk about in, in the kind of environment we're in. But True. It's funny how like the patterns of, of old Hollywood publicity have actually just kind of like been replicated virtually now. Um, it took a couple of months, but um, and I didn't I didn't participate in any kind of virtual junkets the first few months at all, and I've only done a few in the last couple of months. But um, I've I, like I've been a bit of a snob in recent years, generally anyway. Just thankfully because uh, you know I, I have been doing this for a while, and, and I do have some decent relationships in the industry where I can kind of get around going through the junket format, which is limiting in terms of time right. you know Number one. Uh, yeah. obviously you get the four or eight minutes and it's also control it's it's controlled by other people hitting the on off switch the stop record button and 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 just all of these factors really change the dynamic i find of a of a what's what's trying to be a um a loose human conversation so for all of those reasons i have um avoided junkets both in person in recent years uh and even virtually this year and and again i know i'm in a lucky position where where for a variety of reasons my outlet and, right. and, and just my experience lets me kind of avoid them but um i guess my point is 
is I'm surprised, frankly, that the junkets remain. And I see the same players in there and the same companies doing it. And, you know, I'm not denigrating them. They're doing the best they can. Um, what I'm more curious about, and I've been curious from the start, is, again, in the aftermath of all this. Because we are going to come back to, to some semblance of reality at some point, whether it's in, in summer or next fall or whatever. Um, what celebrities, what actors, what filmmakers, what studios are willing to do, and, and do they do as much traveling? Do they put themselves out there in hotels, etc.? Having seen that this can be done this way, do we retreat back to more virtual conversations? I don't know. So for those, uh, most people know what a movie junket is, but it's essentially, it's a big a weekend, about two weeks before a film comes out, the studio will bringing a bunch of journalists across TV, radio, internet, uh, some print, whatever it is. And, the, you know, the interviews you always see with the, you know, the actor in front of a poster of the movie or whatever that kind of thing is. And journalists come in in five minute clips and do interviews. So, uh, yeah. So for, for many decades, deemed kind of the most efficient way to just bang out, you know, 150 interviews right. in two days. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I've had this conversation with you and everybody in my business in recent years, again, this isn't anything new. We've all talked about this as an antiquated model that feels insane that we're still doing this. Right. Again, now the match has been lit and we and, and it, it burned up and the old model is is over in some ways. It will be really curious to me if we rebuild that crazy model in the same way it was built before when we come out of this. Like I said, they have kind of rebuilt it in Zoom fashion in a, in a, in a very similar way. So maybe... Maybe I'm being Pollyannish when I say like, oh, it's over. We're gonna, we're not gonna go back to that that old model. Um, I, but I, I would be surprised because in conversations with every on every end, publicists, actors, media, we all kind of think it's insane the way it's done. So I think. Uh, there is um, reason to believe that it's going to look a lot different when we come out of it. Yeah. In terms of what you do, I mean, uh, you know, as more for your podcast, I guess, specifically, you've always done sit down conversations of what Happy, Sad, Confused has been. You've obviously gone, you know, virtual, you know, uh, since March. Uh, would you consider doing more virtual interviews you know, in late 2021 onward, or are you going to kind of stick to the IRL thing? Have you thought about what your line in the sand might be, or is it? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I honestly haven't given much thought because I think, you know, I, I'm a natural pessimist and have never thought that we're, we're rounding a corner or getting really close to, like, really seriously dealing with these things. So, like, uh, it still feels like at least six months away for, from starting to, like, really think about this stuff seriously. Okay. Um, I, I, my, my first blush answer would be I would be very sad if, like, this is the new model for the majority, if not all of things, because... Um, at least the, the, the kind of stuff I do, I think you you, um, you can you can you can do different things. You can you can play to different strengths of, of not being in the same room, but there's no substitute from you know feeling the energy of somebody and seeing their their full body language. Um, so I my instinct is that I will hold out hope and push for yeah. IRL. Um, uh, conversations, but uh, talk to me in a year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm still beaming from the Matrix and <laughs> eating my ramen noodles in the cold. Yeah. You want your Keanu interview or not, buddy? Come exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah Keanu's yeah. I talk, not I talk a big game now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think for you, and you know, if it's a first time conversation, then maybe not. But if it's someone you know, I think you're probably more comfortable on a virtual where it's okay. We've talked four times. I'm fine with us just chatting like friends. You know, that is an absolutely an excellent point. And and ninety percent of the people I've done for the podcast and stir crazy are, are people that I have some semblance of a history with. Exactly. Um, but yes, I think diving into a first conversation with somebody over Zoom is. Uh, that 
that takes a lot of talent for the the, the journalist or host. So yeah. Godspeed. Yeah, exactly. But I do think actors will go back to doing the the talk show circuits, which certainly dr- drives a lot of the in person press. Like that's hard to. I don't think those shows, the Colbert's, Fallon's, you know, uh, Kelly and. Uh, Ryan yep. now. Um, I'm like, can we do? Uh, we'll, we'll accept the virtual, you know, the screen interview. I, that's where I'm curious to see if they will take that as a, you know, as a three person, you know, hour show. Will, will you accept one guest as a virtual or does everybody have to be in real life? I would imagine they'll insist on it. Well, I think it's hard, like, you know, th- those those talk shows now come down to their viral moments, right? The, 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 the sketch, the game, et cetera. Right. And those things are harder to execute. Again, virtually, you can do it, and I've had some modest success even on Stir Crazy in, in finding kind of small viral uh, moments. But it, it's you know my after hour series. You can't do a full on scripted sketch right now. No, and um, no. So I, I think I I think your instincts right. I think the late night shows will probably definitely still be the domain of, of, of what what it used to look like to a degree. Yeah, and I think that will help drive a lot of other things to come back that you could do virtually. But if you're already doing this, why don't you? Do, you know, you're already here in New York. Yeah. Why would you one, stop? Exactly. Once you make the trip to New York or L.A., you're not going to just do one thing. You're going to do at least some. It, it might be a, a small amount of things, but they'll 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 make some rounds. Yeah. So you do talk a lot to the movie studios. Uh, You know, it's been a tough time, especially the past few months. Uh, The publicity and marketing groups haven't been immune from the layoffs that have been going on pretty much across the board at every media conglomerate movie studio. Uh, You know, what what's the you know, the temperature you're feeling or hearing at this point, is it optimism? Is it a weariness, disillusionment? Is it, you know, what what's your sentiment, you know, as the year has gone on, where do you feel the studio executives are about the business? What's the, you know? I guess my, my sense in talking and most of the studio folks I'm talking to are in publicity. For those that have made it, first of all, because there have been tremendous layoffs and we've lost a lot of really good people to these layoffs, sadly. Um, but to the ones that have made it, there's a glimmer of hope in that there's, there's more product now. Well, you know, Wonder Brothers is now pushing out stuff. I'm talking to those folks a lot more on the regular. Um, you know, Disney is now putting out more originals on, and they've conflated. You know, um, they're streaming with their their theatrical. So the publicity department handles both right now. Um, so so they're they're now busy. Um, so my my uh, amorphous just like you know sense of it is those that have lasted <laughs> through luck and, and hard work. Um, there's, there's at least, they seem busier than they were because yes, the first six months, some of my contacts, the ones that were still there, they had nothing, they had nothing to do. So I think they were just praying that uh, they would be furloughed and brought back or, or, or just remain. Um, and, and some weren't so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Like at least look again, HBO max, they're at least doing something. Now they know, like they're not going to push it off for another six months. They are going to release a big Denzel Washington, you know, action movie. Right. And I got a, literally got an email from one of those today, like full steam ahead and universal too. They, they have a model, like the, the ones that have kind of created models uh, for how to do this. There's a roadmap to, to, to getting back to work. Right. Uh, well, speaking of comfort, you've added an element to your happy, sad, confused podcast, uh, this year called the uh, comfort movie element conversation. So, uh, where did that idea, well, first of all, explain what that is and, uh, where that sure. kind of idea came from. So traditionally happy, sad, confused is essentially like a, a loose rambly Josh Horowitz conversation. You know, I'm kind of like a, a movie nerd and then I like to just sort of like have a real, real freewheeling conversation for about 45 minutes with my guests. When, when the pandemic started, I, I felt like, again, I'd never done these virtually. I wanted to try to find some way to, I, I couldn't do it at business as usual. It felt like it needed to be something different. And especially in those first days, 
it felt like a lot of us were frankly just looking for comfort wherever we could find it. I know I was. And uh, not the most novel idea, but I thought, well, let's, let's add an element to the podcast where the guest pre-selects a favorite comfort movie that they, uh, they, they, they find always brings them joy. Um, and I'll prep for that if I haven't seen it already. And then for at least, you know, sometimes up to half the conversation, sometimes a little less, depends on kind of the nature of the conversation, we'll dive deep into why they love that movie so much. Um, so it's elicited some really interesting picks. It's, yeah. it's, it is a fun kind of like window into um, someone's personality and their influences, like the high rarefied air of like Kate Blanchett um, of choosing Long Day's Journey into Night, um, uh, you know, a, a, right. big, a big successful winner at Cannes, to... Um, you know, uh, like Zoe Kravitz choosing the American president or Dakota Fanning choosing Almost Famous. It's um, uh, Henry Cavill talking about the Lord of the Rings movies. So yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a telling, revealing aspect of the celebrity um, that, I, uh, that I appreciate. And oftentimes they're movies that I also can, you know, nine times out of 10, they're like, yes, I see it. I, I, that is a comforting movie to me. Uh, sometimes it's a movie I haven't uh, gone back to or ever seen. Um, Jesse Plemons chose the Lonesome Dove trilogy or, or right, a six-hour yeah. <laughs> miniseries, which frankly right. wasn't a comfort movie, Jesse. Okay, and second of all, he gave me that pick the night before I was talking to him. So that was a little was annoying. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, it's 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 been a yeah it's been a fun way to kind of like um, change the format a tiny bit and talk about movies that I haven't seen in a while, movies that I love, movies that the guests love. And anything, anytime you can get a guest talking about something they truly love or passionate about, that's, uh, that's gold. Yeah. And it's maybe, the, you know, uh, the old mentor, old man talking here, I won't, I won't drag you down with me, but uh, <laughs> just how much, you know, younger talent loves older movies. Like a lot of times we're like, Dakota Fanning wasn't, I, know. I don't know, she was like, was she born when Almost Famous came out? I know that that's happened a lot where I do the math and I'm like, so you couldn't have possibly have seen this. This was my comfort movie. Yeah, exactly. is, you can't steal my comfort like, movie. I, I, my comfort movie wasn't from the 60s. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't, we didn't have that. But obviously different generations and, you know, home video changed everything and yada, yada. But you know, like Mackenzie Davis also was uh, Death Becomes Her, and I was like, uh, exactly, I mean, what I was great movie. But like, I was like, how does yeah. how does that become? You know, was that does that strike you? Is that kind it of has struck me. It's it's very interesting, and I think I think part of it is home video and 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 cable and 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 the way the movies that we grew up with were recycled and just played ad nauseum and, and in a different way than the previous generation. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess part of that's really good. Part of it's, it sucks because it's like, wait, that was my generation. Let me at least have that. You, you do your, <laughs> can't have yeah, that one, exactly. Sorry. You can choose she's all that. That's not my generation. Go for the, the next thing, you know? But um, but I guess it's good that, that legitimate movies that, that I that I treasure are, are um, enjoyed by people that are 10 or 15 years younger than me and sometimes more. If someone comes in with like a really Gen X movie, I'd be like, all right, like if you see like Reality Bites or like, you know, like, I'm like no, you, you, you know, I don't know. Like something that's such of a generation. Right, that they don't belong to. You know, like that's like, oh, I remember back to that yeah. time of my life. Yeah, you're not allowed to look at your comfort movie as like a peek into like your father's generation. No, it has to be something of your I haven't I haven't stipulated these rules, Sean. You can you can make these rules in your version of comfort movies, but um, I'm just trying to get anyone to pick anything. I, I don't have the luxury of arguing with them. But if I chose American Graffiti, I'd be like, that's no, that's not my movie. You know, no. like a little, you know, sometimes a little stay in your lane, you know, a little bit like, you know, all right, you know. <laughs> Get your own movies here, uh, Gen Y, all right? You know, come on. I'm going to add that as an addendum. By the way, the movie had to come out when you were between 5 and 16 years old. It can't be the movie of a different generation. Exactly. You know. 
All right, well, we are in December, so uh, in the theme of that, your top three or even your best comfort movie for a Christmas movie. Uh, I'll give you three. If you want one, you can take one, but, you know, let's uh, let's be in the, in, the, in, the, in the season here, Josh. Okay, well, I, have, I definitely have one off the top of my head for definitely a seasonal comfort movie, um, and no one has chosen this yet on the podcast, surprisingly. Um, Scrooged is uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it is, of course... Wait, did somebody pick it? You've talked about it, and I don't... That's not, but cause you, I, know you, I know you have a love for the movie. But you can use this or not, but I'm going to look at my list, Sean, because I need to know, <laughs> am I duplicating someone else's pick? I feel like you talked pick? about it. Because you, didn't you like go see it with your brother or something like that? Or Oh, that was it. That was that it. Was, I, maybe that was it. Scrooged, it was... I did, I did a podcast with my brother... Uh, our, our dad sadly passed away, so we did kind of a pretty personal podcast talking about our mutual uh, kind of comfort movies growing up. And my brothers, one of my brothers was Scrooge. But yes, I consider Scrooge one of the great comfort movies. Richard Donner, even though he infamously battled uh, Bill Murray, um, they hated each other. Can you imagine those two? But honestly, knowing what you know about those guys. Oh, I can like, totally imagine Who it, thought, yeah. like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> how did that come about in the first place is still a little beyond me. But, I, you know, anyway. Um, but no, that movie from the opening scene of um, The Night the Reindeer Died, the uh, the movie within the movie, um, you know, it's it's obviously just a play on A, a Christmas Carol, uh, a um, but an acerbic, dark, black comic version of it. And... Um, it just so suits Bill Murray. He uh, he makes me laugh like no other performance he's done. Even maybe even Ghost, Ghostbusters, um, and a great ensemble behind him. You know, you got Buster Poindexter, you got Karen Allen, you got uh, yeah. It's it also got some some heart to it too. So it's it's a legit good like feel good Christmas movie in the end. But along the way, it's dark and weird and just funny. So um, I, I, that's one I always return back to. If I catch it on TV, I will get sucked into it. I won't get into the whole diehard question, but that's never, never, nobody wins at that. So, you know. Yeah, no one does win on that. Yeah, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't consume me, the diehard Christmas <laughs> that, thing. It doesn't do me either. Yeah. I don't no. care. Sure, if you want to call it a Christmas movie, sure. <laughs> Watch it whenever you want. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. <laughs> I never tied it to Christmas in my mind, but sure, I can see the argument. I get it. I do own the, the diehard Christmas uh, book, though. Have you seen that? There's a, it's a, uh, it's diehard as told as a uh, holiday like um, children's Christmas story. Okay. Highly recommend it for the nieces, nephews, children in your life. Uh, all right. So what do we have uh, coming up? Happy, sad, confused. Uh, obviously, Christopher Nolan, Patty Jenkins are already up. People can listen to those now. Thanks for the plug. Yes. It's been a, it's been a nice little run of filmmakers. Those two are the, our recent episodes. I've got Steven Soderbergh as our next episode. Uh, then we've got Paul Greengrass already done. Fantastic interview with that filmmaker who I greatly admire. Um, and then, yeah, uh, looking up into the new year, um, got some Bo Burnham action starring in Promising Young Woman. A great movie. One of my favorites of the year. So can, uh, here's a question for you. Can you do a best of 2020 list this year? People have been doing it. I've been reluctant. I still haven't committed to doing it. I don't know if I'm going to do it. It feels there have been 20 movies probably I, I really liked a lot this year. But it, it again, it feels it feels odd to me. And I, I, I've been resistant generally of top 10 lists in recent years anyway. So I don't know if I'm going to do it, um, but I, I need to go back to my, my master list and see if I'm inspired. I don't have a clear number one. There also, there's not one that's like jumped out at me. There's no like Fury Road that, as you know, consumed me, can still consumes me to this day. Um, there's no obvious number one that I'm just so passionate about. Um, 
And if there was, then maybe I'd be more inspired to like do the two through 10. Fair enough. Uh, and Stir Crazy, what else is uh, going on there? Stir Crazy is chugging along. We have a little break coming up, but we have one more new episode before the year ends. Uh, a really fun episode I taped with Chris Pine, starring in Wonder Woman 1984, of course. Uh, Chris was delightful. That airs next week on Comedy Central's Facebook and YouTube pages. The most recent episode that's up right now is Pedro Pascal, also from Wonder Woman 1984, of, uh, 1984 and that one was um, bonkers in the best possible way. <laughs> I haven't, actually haven't done much with Pedro at all, and he just delivered. So uh, very excited for folks to check that out. See, virtual can be some, it can work sometimes, right? Yeah. No, look, I'll, I'll take it. I, I'd prefer in person, but I'll take it. We can make it work. We're figuring it out on as we go. And then you have a, a benefit in a Wednesday as well? Oh, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I'm doing a Happy Set Confused uh, benefit, a virtual benefit uh, on Symphony Space's website. And you can purchase tickets for $20. It's me and Katrina Balf of Outlander fame. Some special guest appearances from Graham McTavish and Sam Hewen, also of Outlander fame. Um, and uh, it should be fun. Be silly, uh, silly conversations with some games, some surprises, some giveaways. Uh, and it's all benefiting uh, my mom's nonprofit theater organization, Community Works, which does great work in Harlem, as well as Symphony Space. So um, check it out on Symphony Space or my social media, Joshua Horowitz. I'll be, I'll be showing for that for the next week. Well, I'm glad to see you keeping busy, Josh, you know. Just trying to forget <laughs> what's going on outside my window, all the insanity. But yes, no, thank, thank you for having me and thank you for the wake up. No, listen, got to keep you informed somehow, man. Come I mean, on. I'd be a dullard. I'd be an idiot without it. <laughs> All right, man. We live in the same city, so hopefully we'll see each other sometime In theory, soon. that would be nice. Let's make that happen. Let's figure it out. <laughs> All right, Josh. Thanks again, man. Thanks again to Josh for making time to talk. Always good to catch up. I put links in the episode notes to this podcast, to Josh's YouTube series, Stir Crazy and On Location, that we talked about in the podcast, and a link to his podcast, uh, getting very meta here, uh, that's a Happy, Sad, Confused. So you can add that to your podcast lineup. Just hit that details button beneath the title of this episode in your app, and you'll uh, see all the links there. And thanks for listening. As always, I'll uh, see you in the morning. 